Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the... Let's go. You'll be uh, Brad Pitt. Kevin, Brad Pitt to my George Clooney. That's right. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? He's eating. He can't say anything. Because I'm Brad it's, Pitt it's in an uh, Ocean's movie. And then so our, I have to be eating. Our very own Matt Damon. I apologize to all the people who get mad when we eat on the podcast. Matt Damon. <laughs> it's Eric Ronovec. Eric, how you doing? Uh, he's the one with the oldest face because he's had no plastic surgery. I'll take it. Eric, uh, you uh, totally blew it. It was your opportunity to go, Matt Damon. Yeah, I, wanted to, <laughs> I didn't want to do what everyone was expecting. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so for lean away from expectations. Matt Damon. Let's get into it, uh, but to start, we're going to do our game review second. You know, usually we lead with the game review. We're going to hit all of our Twitter questions off the bat because we don't have a game to preview, and then come back in with the uh, with the game review of Dallas-Seattle. Uh, Kevin, Twitter question number one, hit me. Uh, so we're going to be taking a bit of a journey here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. Because I, this is going to Last leave- time Kevin said this to me, it did not end in a way that I expected. Kevin, Kevin explain. Kevin, that's that's Kevin. not a lot. That's Kevin. that's for the Patreons podcast. Yeah, I was say, if you want to know more about that, become a Seahawks Nest patron. Uh, Seahawks Nest after dark. After dark. <laughs> punt up. Punt up. Um, yeah, Kevin watches Michael Dixon punts and then like gets really uncomfortably close to you. That's. <laughs> I just get really it's really touchy. Close to the microphone. It's very touchy. Like David Lee Roth. All right, so uh, Joel has a couple of questions. We're going to start with. If the Seahawks went to a more pass-heavy game against Dallas since the run game wasn't working, do you guys think it would have looked like the first two games of the year against Denver and Chicago? Ooh, no. Man, I, I actually that, like that question. Though. I said this last week, um, but comparing like week one to week uh, 17 is a fool's errand. Um, I do think the Seahawks got... Um, Got gun shy about run uh, pass heavy game plans because of those two games, but we look looking backwards. That was against the number six and number one pass defenses in the league, and I uh, don't by DVOA. So I don't think that that's a fair assessment of how, our ability to run a pass heavy offense. Uh, that's that's where I'm at, Eric. Um, I don't know. I'm with you on this. I think it's I think it's fair to bring up the point that, and we'll talk about this ad nauseum tonight that. We shouldn't have run the ball so much, but how many times do you have the situation where, you know, you complain that they didn't run the ball enough? We lose this game. We stop running the ball. Too many cans of worms. Uh, to answer your question in short, no. Okay, people who uh, have, people who have said passing more is better since this happened. Uh, Mike Solari, uh, Russell Wilson have have both said that. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll apparently had like a really serious talk with Russell Wilson today about his future in Seattle, which makes me think that they had kind of a heart to heart about like Russell's like, hey, bro, you know, you got because he came out and you don't usually see Russell do stuff like this. But he came out in the in the like uh, clean out your locker press conference and was talking about how he thought that they should pass more, that they should there should be more passing in the offense. Uh, The other thing I would bring up as a counterpoint to the Denver and Chicago games in the Denver and Chicago games, Lockett wasn't as fully integrated into the play calling at that time. Baldwin was completely out. I think when you look at our weapons in the past game, it was much more incomplete. And I also feel like Schottenheimer wasn't taking the deep passes at that time. It was more like trying to be like quick and rhythm. So the type of passing game and the way that the players were performing was so different that, like you said, Nathan, trying to compare it that way, I just think it's it's a non-comparison, especially when you're comparing a games against like basically two top five pass defenses versus a middling two bottom one third pass defense. All right. So Joel's other question. At this point, what has more strain, your faith in Schottenheimer or Seabass's calf? Well, um, let me just say this. Seabass, thank you for your service, but he will never be seen in a Seahawks uniform He again. pulled his butt cheek and will limp off into the night one last time. It's uh, it's There's no way he's back next year. I would be Do you guys think we draft a kicker? Stunned. Um, I'm all in for drafting kickers. Um, well, I, I have to seventh ref- round, UDFA. Cody Parkey is going to be our kicker next year. You know, Pete loves them redemption uh, stories. Clink, clink. I'm going to refer uh, to Kevin yeah, Garber's scouting. That was a block now, Kevin. That was a block now. I just want you to know, keep up with the news. That Robbie was- Gould is a free agent. 
Yeah. The gold finger He's himself. 85 out of 87 in the last three years. Yeah. Steal him straight from the Niners, too. It would be sweet. <laughs> They're trying to steal all of our leads. We don't have a lot of cap room, is the thing. So I don't know if we'll be able to go for like the best kicker. No, oh, I don't think we will either. We have, we have some, cap, some cap room. You know who did pretty well? There's a lot of people that we need to bring back next year. We could talk about this. but You know who did pretty well? Jason Myers, the guy that we cut and ended up going to mm-hmm. the Jets. He was a good... And being basically as good as Seabass was all season. Yeah. Maybe even a little better, but yep. yeah. Seabass uh, was good when he wasn't hurt. The thing that the difference between Jason Myers and Seabass is Jason Myers treats his body like a professional athlete should, and Sebastian Janikowski looks like your uncle at Thanksgiving. Sebastian warming, Janikowski warming up with some nice stretches in the yard, trying to get ready to play. Shane smoking football. as much as he can before he gets out on the field. Sebastian Janikowski is what people joke about Philip Rivers' body looking like. It's it's no. it's it's not great. I, I mean, like Seabass looks kind of like he had seven kids. And I don't mean like he, there he are seven like kids. Andy Reid when he was a he looks like grader. he like birthed seven kids. Were you surprised when he when he broke his his butt? No, trying to kick a football. No, I was not surprised at all when he pulled his butt. Muscle. It was it was a very long kick, and he's forty two years old. Big he's, shocker. Here's the thing: you knew he was putting everything into it. He's old, and it's not like Vinatieri, where he's old and he seems like he's in really good shape still. No, he's no. always had this reputation <laughs> no. of like just flying off the off the cuff. So the thing with Seabass is that I love him, man. I love him, but it, it, it he, was he he would be the one that NFL if NFL players would vote him most likely to accidentally cut a large fart when attempting to kick a fifty yard field goal. Like he, he just, I mean, the dude's the dude's been through some things. Like he's ready to retire. Let him. You know, How many kickers have DUIs? Well, ours did. <laughs> oh, okay. On the field with the medical cart. Um, and shot. Let's go to Schottheimer now. Okay, so like obviously our faith in uh, our faith in Seabass's calf is zero. Is zero. Uh, so our so is, is our faith in Schottenheimer less than zero? Yeah, it's it's tough to go zero on this one. It is low though. I will say that. Um, but I have a feeling that a big part of this is well. Okay, I've read a lot about Schottenheimer in the last like four days. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying things like, you shouldn't have been surprised. This is what Schottenheimer does. He runs only long passes and really short passes. Um, and this is something that has bugged me. And this is a point that I was going to bring up before the podcast, but I decided to save it for now in the pre-show. But why is every check down that we run behind the line of scrimmage? We threw nine passes behind the line of scrimmage in the game against Dallas, and it drives me nuts. So many other teams have a guy sit up one yard past the line, one or two yards past the line of scrimmage and ready to catch a ball and turn or running a slant, long slant, stuff like that. Why is it that the Seahawks specifically just always have this these dumb like flare-out screens? Which are, those are 0% plays, by the way. The, the dump off to the to the running back in the flat while he's one-on-one against the cornerback, those plays suck. Man, those we've had no this good. conversation, you know, with Bevel two years ago. It's a shame. Oh, you talk about our lovely uh, Walters flare screens? Yeah. yeah any, was, of, any of that. The it's thing just... about Bevel was those smoke screens. Those are like read plays. So, I mean, I guess I understand it more because you make the read and you say, okay, they're not covering close. You throw this one-yard pass. Th- those plays suck, too. They're also terrible. Especially when you throw them to people who can't make plays in the open field. That's the thing. If you're throwing it, you're throwing, if you're it, throwing it to Alvin Kamara, that's different. If you're throwing smoke to <laughs> if you're throwing a smoke a smoke screen to, to Javon Curse, sucks. To Tyler Lockett, awesome. So I think that stuff might have worked with this year's personnel. But, yes. but, but with two years ago's personnel when Lockett was hurt, it was pretty frustrating to watch. The so let me just say this. Bevel got a lot of interviews for OC jobs, and he I think he deserves it. I think Bevel is think a middle, middle of the pack. And I think Brian Schottenheimer is slight, Not too much different. slightly worse, but I don't think it's like a A, B difference. I think a lot of the problems come from Pete really pounding him like with this run-first philosophy stuff and him doing his job. He's a, he's not the head coach. His job is to bring Pete's vision to life, right? And if that's what Pete wanted, that's what he got. Well, that's I think that the, the faith in Schottenheimer, I think it ultimately comes down to my faith in Pete, Russ, and Schottenheimer because those three men have to figure it out. I think they will figure it out or... I mean, let's face it. Russ isn't the ultimate competitor. Pete is the ultimate competitor. I don't know about Schottenheimer. I really don't. But I know those two men desperately want to win, and they will figure it out. Do you think Russell Wilson will have more pass attempts less next year or, or less? What do you think? I thought he was going to have more this year. He had Everyone's talking about this great year, but he had less pass attempts. I'm by a gonna, lot. Yes, by His much. efficiency numbers were excellent, though. Yeah, and that's great, but... His efficiency numbers were still good when he had more throws, though. That's the yes. thing. It's it's not like it was like an all time career best now, but I don't know. I'd rather see more yardage. Russell um, Wilson with twenty one attempts and Russell Wilson with thirty one attempts is just as efficient. Only in one of them, you get eight yards per attempt 
for 10 more times, which is which is good. Yeah. Turns out getting eight yards on 10 more plays is a good thing. Are you That's telling me we can crazy. maybe get close to 100 yards extra a game, Kevin? It's just, That's how that works, which oh, usually I, results in I like a touchdown because that's on the field is. I don't want to leak into, uh, into what we're going to do next, but I mean, the running game was so inefficient against Dallas, and we just never went away from it. it just, I want to backtrack to one of your previous points, though. Okay. So you're talking about the throws behind the line of scrimmage, and the frustrating thing was we saw checkdowns uh, a lot to like Vanette and Dixon, that were a couple yards upfield. Like Vanette had a lot of checkdowns this year where he was like two yards upfield. And a lot of those are the ones where it was like a checkdown, he turns upfield and gets like five yards. And those are chain movers. Like those are good checkdowns. And Russell Wilson's skill set, I actually think a deep or shallow game really plays into what he does best. Because he's such a good deep ball thrower. If you're going to put the ball up 12 yards, you might as well put it up 20 because he can put it on a rope the same way. So I don't necessarily think that style of passing game is problematic. I just think that the route selections we have, the way that we're not scheming guys open very well, and some of those checkdowns, I think with some tweaks, this could be a functional offense for our skill set. Yeah, I just think it, it comes down to in-game adjustments. And the, hate love or hate Bevel, that was one thing he was good at. Was His scripted plays blue. They were always horrible. But we come out of halftime, and all of a sudden, the chains were moving. We would second move. half team. Second half offense, man. That second half offense was great. Maybe what we need to do is bring Bevel back and have... Shot number scripted plays are actually pretty sweet. Like yeah. usually that first drive is really good. So just he's the second half coordinator. <laughs> it's that's weird. It's not any weirder than what he had to deal hey, with man, being the pass game coordinator. Win at any cost. Alright, we ready for the next question? Yeah. Yes. Alright, from our good friend the JRB. He says, considering the combo of Clark and Reed is pass rush still the biggest priority in the offseason uh between that and cornerback i think what uh, about right tackle i think right for me no i think right tackle is it, it's, honestly uh solid but unspectacular left guard is a bigger concern to me than right tackle for reals for reals jr real sweezy is worrying oh uh, yeah but here's the thing i need to stop saying that i say that a lot uh <laughs> but here's the thing we have Sweezy and Fluker, and neither of them are going to play 16 games. And we need to do something. And I honestly, I trust Solari a lot more than I trust other people. And uh, considering I trust Cable less than I trust Seabass's calf, um, I think that we're in a position where we could pick up an interesting interior lineman. Because for the tackle debate, we have Fant, we could run out there. Um, and take a look at him. We have Jamarco Jones, who got hurt, but uh, looked interesting Jones. early. I think that we could use another uh, good player on the interior and start doing the transition. I think Posich should be our backup center next year with some guard flexibility, and we need to pick the next guy at guard, especially with Solari's preference for more of a kind of hulking style guard. He likes a big dude in the middle. And so we want to get one of those Mike Upati sized guys. Well, guess what? You can literally just get Mike Upati if you want. Uh, Mike Upati literally only has one leg. Yeah, I yeah, understand. I, I want... He was still good in run blocking last year. Yeah, that's because uh, his one leg is really big. He's not going to cost a lot of money. To so, you get Kevin, Kevin, you're talking about basically reshuffling guys to the right and picking up a plus guy on the left. Well, I just think we need to pick up an interior guy. Okay. If we're talking about interior versus Kevin exterior, wants James Carpenter back. I would not have a problem with a player like that who's ten years younger. Ten so, years younger, so he's twenty. <laughs> Carpenter's only thirty. Hey, you seem so much older than that. That's a that's a, that's a surprise statistic of the day. Today I learned I got, John Carpenter I got not Kevin. old as dirt. Got Kevin Good right there. Nathan's um, just trying to pick out all these old names. But yeah, for me, I I'm think especially how about Kevin Malway? I think especially. How about Ryan Khalil? Just kidding. No, no Khalils. Uh, <laughs> Kevin's on a clear no Khalil policy. If Khalil is your last name, no. If Khalil is your first name, I will consider it. <laughs> I think pass rush is still my biggest priority. Okay. I think we could run the same corners back and still be functional next year. Ooh. I think we need another pass rusher I, because I think it's time for the Deion Jordan experiment to end. To uh, answer the JRB's direct question... For me, man, I I have had it with Shaq Griffin over the last 
handful of games. I'm just going to say cornerback. I am with Eric. I really want to bring in a cornerback. I don't know what you do. We have enough room for, like... We're talking priority, man. If I'm spending a first-round pick, I'm spending it on a pass rusher in this draft. Okay, well, I'm not... Because you can have both, I think, in this situation. Uh, if, if I'm prioritizing, though, in and this is a premier pass rush draft, and we only have four draft picks, but the, the, free, agent, the free agent market for cornerbacks this year is, like, it's pretty good. Pretty freaking good. And so I, I like this crop of cornerbacks to be able to get some value out of it. You to know? bring in a decent player to come in and compete. Yeah. Like, I would I would love to bring in, like, Bryce Callahan and just say, like, hey, buddy, like, you're, 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 it's your job. Go in it and make Shaq and fl- try, try to earn it from him, you know? Yeah. But that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, okay. That's that question. All right. Gavin, what traits, if any returned from the earlier season to hurt us and are we critically limited by our offense or if not what do we need to uh what need what changes need to be addressed so basically is our offense broken or can we change it functionally and do you think this was our early season coming back to bite us uh, i thought we evolved nicely throughout the season and at the end we found a way to devolve uh not in a in a completely different way um I don't know, man. I don't. Nothing came back to bite us that immediately sticks out to me. And you guys might have different uh, positions where you'll make an argument, but I'm I'm not happy with the way the season ended. But I'm happy with the growth this season in ways that I didn't think we'd see. Like I at one time I hated Schottenheimer. Now I'm like, you know what? He's probably fine. But as I don't know, Kevin, what do you have? I would say what came back to bite for me is our. We knew coming into the season we were thin on defense. And that thinness hurt us. Especially in the secondary. We just didn't have the bodies to handle things that came up. The second thing that really hurt us was... Yes, this iteration of our offense was limited in the way we chose to utilize it. We kept running into a brick wall. And we didn't utilize play action in a logical way. Except for, you know, the one drive that was really good with the deep passes to lock it. So, I do think that this was more of a manifestation of the weaknesses that have been there all season, as opposed to us reverting back to an earlier form. This form was always there. It's just everything came to rear its ugly head this week. What about, uh, you know what, I'll throw in one just, just to make anybody happy. Doug Baldwin not being healthy. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's big. that's a that's a that's a, a recurring theme throughout the entire year, and unfortunately, I mean, Doug he, made he said last, he was never going to be right the whole season too. Well, in the last yeah. four four games, he had like these terrible drops, and then an amazing play, and he did it again. And it's or he would make a catch, but then he'd come up and he'd have to walk over to the exactly. sideline exactly because his leg was bothering him. And that's everything I hated about Jermaine Curse. So, uh, and I don't want to. I certainly don't want to bring that to Doug. Well, we could have had two basically true number one receivers. Like, if, if Baldwin's your number one receiver, full Baldwin, you feel good about that. If this year's version of Lockett's your number one receiver, you feel good about that. It's a lot more like the Lions offense when they had Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. And you're like, yeah. man, it pick your poison. If you, one of them's going to be single coverage and they will find a way to get open. Nathan? Uh, can you repeat the original question? Because I'm we're so far removed from it that I forgot like <laughs> what the original question So the original question basically is, what traits, if any, from the early season returned to hurt us? And uh, is our offense is our offense critically limited or basically broken? Uh, well, the early season, yeah, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, that we passed a lot more. So this was a completely different, like it's apples and oranges comparison. Um, that. The thing that hurt us, yeah, the most in this game was just it was yeah, like you said, Kevin. It was every problem that this team has kind of yeah ratcheted up to eleven by bad coaching decisions. Okay, let's go to the next one. All right, so uh, Kieran, and I hope I'm getting your name right. Uh, UKC Hawker, so shout out across the pond. Oh, yeah. uh, Kieran, stayed Kieran's up until four thirty to watch that. Kieran's a Patreon too. Yep. Wow, and he stayed up till four thirty. I the, feel like we owe him something. He gets the big shouts every week. I recognize the Patreon names when I see them. Because <laughs> I've read them so many times. That's true. So, 
how many new or upgraded players are we away from getting past a game like this? So I think he's saying if the team's going to make a next step, how many bodies does that require? You ready for this? Our next step is having home playoff games, and we don't have to add anyone to do that. The Rams are going to be worse next year, which will give us a big opportunity with even similar talent level to make the leap to the next level. Um. We can we can uh, flesh out that Rams point later in the uh, off season because we, God knows we have enough time. Sadly, <laughs> um, I will say this: for those I wanna, of you I, who have not stuck around for the off season shows, it gets uh, it gets a little out there. There's some tumbleweeds. We there's, all have there's fun. Good. There's definitely some weeks where we just talk like we go so deep on like one if position. You, group. If you want, if you want in depth punter analysis, hey, if then you should tune in We're sometime in like early March. We're the only podcast that actually previewed us getting Michael Dixon. <laughs> this is a real thing. If you go back, we, you listen and find out. Kevin literally said bowl MVP Michael Dixon yeah. uh, like last summer. So, yes. yeah, we were early on that one. Uh, I'll say this. Um, what do we want away from? If you look at the games, there were five games that we lost uh, very closely. If we win two of those games, we are previewing our first playoff game this week i mean we'll have a bye week uh i think we're maybe one player away nathan said we are uh home game away i think that's one player i think that's a an impact pass rusher i think that's a b like above average cornerback or a uh you know a a clone of Dwayne brown on the right side a clone of Dwayne. That's a big. That's a big. Man. That's a big player, man. That's uh, that's like two players worth of a player. Well, it's a big clone. <laughs> I'd say we're about two players away. I think if we get that defensive back and pass rusher, <laughs> that's enough. Or if we can get one of those players and get that little upgraded stability on the offensive line, I think that's enough. I'm with you. I like how we went zero, one, and two. Uh, that's, that's symmetry. I don't. I'm I'm like earnest about that. I don't think that I don't think you're if wrong. If we ran back the same roster from last year, the Rams are going to be significantly worse. They're, especially if we kept Earl and started running three safeties. Yeah, well, I'm I said the same roster as last year. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> that includes that includes Earl Thomas, which is which is a big addition. Uh, all right, so. that's addition by addition. All right, and then Cameron's got a trio of questions. So uh, these are going to mostly lead into the game. Recap. So I'm going to start with the least game to the most game. So, quick question. What was our most impressive find this year? Was it Flowers, one of the guards, Kendricks, Dixon, Fant? Who's the guy who was the big find? Oh, Flowers for sure. Flowers was a Flowers was a legitimate number two NFL cornerback that we got for basically nothing. We got him for a very, very late draft pick. I think he already has outperformed uh, Shaquille Griffin and um, is is a person that I would be I'd be more disappointed to lose than Shaquille Griffin already. So Trey Flowers, for me, uh, not close. Second place would be I guess be Jaron Reed's development into a legitimate pass rusher. Uh, Eric, I'm also going Trey Flowers mainly because he's a number one cornerback, and not everyone knows who he is. People are still saying, "Oh, the, our cornerback, uh, he's uh, who's the guy who's not playing? Uh, who's not Griffin?" I get that all the time at work. Uh, Trey Flowers is, like Nathan said, impressive and a player that. Well, we were th- we were talking about uh, running out a uh, old man river on the left side this year. Yep. Um, and we didn't have to do that, so that's pretty cool. My secondary will be Puna Ford. This guy can't play; he's undersized. Certain people on Twitter that Nathan mentioned to me saying, "You guys think he's going to make the team? It's not going to happen." Well, guess what, Jared? Puna Ford. <laughs> yeah, we really uh, we really stuck it to him right there. I agree. Puna Ford is a really good choice as far as somebody who stepped up. Uh, Jaron Reed, we talked about if he could put together any form of pass rush, he'd be like a top-tier tackle, and he put together a pretty damn good pass rush. I think Trey Flowers is very much the case. Uh, I think Bunt Up. <laughs> I was saving him for you, Kevin. Michael Dixon is a really good addition. Yeah, he needs to stop out kicking his coverage, though. Uh, I think his coverage needs to start, needs to stop Dude, uncovering the torpedo. The torpedoes out there doing work, man. Yeah, but like, There's how nothing... many? How often is it just the torpedo out there, a guys? Lot, a guys, lot. guys, <laughs> too much. <laughs> Way too much. I wanted to pose the question this week or next about uh, our special teams coach 
maybe yeah. him being ousted. Can we finally get rid of Brian Schneider? That, this is a big that would thing. be good. This We're in like thing. year 40 of him being like an obviously very medium special teams. Coach. I started to read an article about his DVOA numbers, so then I went to just go look at them myself because I didn't want to read a, He's an article by someone who blocked us on Twitter. <laughs> and no, the evidence is there. It's out there. Okay. So Can then we, and I want to give wait, some... Uh, con- oh, go ahead. My off-the-radar person is Will Disley. Okay, oh, rest I mean, in peace. Yeah, he broke his leg. That's why. That's why he's off the radar. Yeah, because I think that he is the exact kind of tight end we want, and people are going to forget about him because of the uh, because he broke his leg and because he was out for so long. Well, we had to shoot him. He's going to come back. It's not horse. Sorry. He's, wait, we're playing horse. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do a layup where I slap the back. This is not the out of season podcast yet. We don't have to get this desperate. So. Uh, Will Disley, I think, is a player who looks like the kind of person who can have a lot of impact going forward. Remember how excited we all got to get about his blocking? And Vanette's blocking has looked way better. Uh, I don't know if Solari's working with the tight ends a lot, but suddenly our tight ends block like nobody's business. Tight ends look the best they've looked maybe ever. Man, our tight ends are our best right tackles this year. Uh, It's a fact. Yeah, I mean, Trey Flowers came in about 50th in DVOA, which is not great, but it's also not second to last like Shaquille Griffin. So, uh. <laughs> Also, he's gotten a lot better throughout the season. He started off very exposed and rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trey, Trey struggled at first, but I think, he, yeah, like, like you said, he's a rookie. He was a real, real rookie. Yeah, his trajectory is what you would want to see. All right, All right. question number two. Oh, it's from the same person? Same person, Cameron Still. Okay. Uh, so we'll just put these two questions together. It's kind of a second and third. So it seemed like today coaching and play calling was more at fault than players. So does a 2019 improved roster roster improve fortunes or can we not really move forward without an strongly in coaching strongly disagree with that statement? Um, but I'll let someone else start. Someone else talk. Before. I'll start. Um, yeah, I disagree as well. I feel like our defense, I don't know, man. Our secondary play was pretty poor. I think all around, uh, the, I hate saying this, uh, the players let us down. Uh, I, I think it goes around to everyone, but I'm I'm upset with the play calling, but I'm more upset with the inconsistencies in the secondary, the, the ability to get pressure with no real pressure, uh, more like the appearance of pressure, and uh, sloppy penalties on the O-line. I mean, this is... This is an ongoing issue for going on what feels like my entire life. Um, I'll let someone take it from here. Can I follow that up real quick? Go. My, I want to talk about a position group that I've praised a lot this year, and that's defensive line. There's a large-scale frustration that I have, and that is the type of pressure that we get is a problematic brand of pressure against a quarterback with mobility like a Dak Prescott. And that is, it's always Clark or Reed or, like, Jacob Martin especially, who ends up getting pressure on a play. And when you have a quarterback who knows how to move around or who's difficult to bring down, getting one guy in the backfield isn't going to win very often. But when he was pressured in this game, he sucked. Like... He sucked bad. He was 6 for 13, 48 yards. I mean, this is like one of my only positives, I can say. is like. That. But I feel like we could have had a much bigger impact on the game if more than one person at a time could could have gotten pressure on him. Maybe we would have, maybe like we would have we actually... Convert him fin- into negative plays yeah, and gotten say, more than one sack. We could, finish, we could have finished the sacks. That's what I was about to say, which is which would have been huge to killing drives. We had trouble just killing drives and getting off getting the off field. Getting off the field on third down, mm-hmm. yeah. It was brutal. Um, yeah, the... It was just a, yeah. All right. What was the original question? So I don't just start reviewing the game and actually answer the question. So basically, today it seemed like the coaches and play calling was more at fault than the oh, players. Oh, here we go. Okay. The and pl- so, do yeah. we need to make changes in coaching for 2019 to be no. an fortune? No. We. I mean, it will. It would. A, a slight shift in coaching philosophy in terms of, you know, maybe being more willing to go to a pass-heavy offense when the run isn't working, when the run is averaging uh, two two yards a, an attempt, yeah, that would be nice. Uh, but but um, the the defense let us down in this game a little bit. The offensive line was not great, especially in, in run blocking. Um, and Sweezy had one of his worst games in a while. One of, he had his 
he had a whole really bad day. Fluker was not good either. I, I don't know if he was not fully healthy and that's why they held him back so long or I'm not 100% sure. I kind of had a feeling they were holding him back just because they didn't want to re-injure him, but it might have been that he was just still kind of hurt. And then Sweezy apparently had a broken foot. So, uh, yeah, okay. That's, it's spinal. That's not that's not a great, <laughs> great plan here. Um, but I don't know, man. It was just it's just tough. Like it's just tough a tough day. They have good they have good like I said, Demarcus Lawrence is really good at football. We said that before the game on the podcast. Um DeMarcus They also had a really good scheme great. using uh Jalen Smith to spy Russell Wilson. And then Randy Gregory and Lee Collins had good games. Like they, they both played good and and may and impacted the game. And so yeah, make, we're making our life more difficult. But they only got nine total pressures. You know, at the end of the day we played good and they they pass blocked good enough, which makes it more frustrating that we never went to the pass heavy, you know? Yeah, because clearly that was where we could have beat them and we just chose not to. And I think that might be the impetus for the question there by Cameron. And I agree there needs to be shifts. I just don't think there necessarily has to be personnel changes on the coaching staff. No. It Except could help, but it doesn't have to happen. I think it's gotta be more about Russ. Russ has to go to them and say, This is what we need. Unleash what the Russ. He needs to say, I'm ready for this. Like, give me the reins. Give me the ball. I in in situations like this because you saw how easily we went down the field at the end too when it when it didn't matter and Russ we were only throwing it was just straight down you know and it, that's the kind of thing I think that is totally possible. Russell Wilson is is an excellent NFL football player throwing the ball and he can he can run too and you can use the pass to set up the run. You don't always have to be run first. And occasionally he has his inaccurate games, but let's be honest, we're gonna lose most of those anyway. I'm. I'm happier putting the game in his hands and suffering through that on those rare occasions than hamstringing him so when he's ready to play great, we don't necessarily utilize it. All right. Any right. more? That is all the Twitter questions. Okay. I feel like I've gotten to most of my big game review things. I just want to highlight a couple uh, statistics that I thought were interesting. Uh, they threw 31 times. 14 of those times they attacked Shaquille Griffin. Eight catches, 108 yards, 37 yards after catch. And the the one that will uh, really grind your gears is that six of those eight <laughs> catches were for first downs. That's brutal. Yeah. it was. They decided when they needed a first down, they knew what, exactly what they were going to do. And it was only on 6.8 yards per attempt, which is not a great number. Yeah, if you yeah per attempt, but if you go just the catches, it's thirteen point five right perception. They knew if they needed a first down, where they could go though, and it's what we should have been like. We should have been like, hey, we need a first down. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna throw it. At, we're gonna throw it at Shadobia Woozy. Yeah, but, Cole Beasley worked our zone a few times, or, and it was really frustrating. Bryce Jones wasn't very good in this game either. Their cornerbacks were not having a good day, and we just decided not to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cole Beasley had a had a mad decent game in this game, which he shouldn't. That's my that's my opinion of Cole Beasley. Like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, Justin Coleman should have been able to shut them down. And instead we end up with situations where Justin Coleman was covering like Amari Cooper, which is bad. And Cole, yeah, and, and uh Shaq and KJ both gave a first down to Cole Beasley. Just just a very frustrating day for the secondary. I don't think the secondary had their best best day. Uh I think if you take out that forty four yard run because uh, both defensive backs decided to pinch and not keep contain, which we've talked about this so much. What makes the Seahawks good in run coverage is that everyone knows their lane. Everyone knows their job. You do your job, and then you make a play from there. Uh, King and Griffin didn't do their job. They both pinched. They didn't keep outside contain. And uh, Zeke Elliott ripped off a 44-yard run. You pull that 44-yard run back out, and he had a middling day. You know, he got to about 100 yards on 25 carries. He'd have been um, a little under four yards per carry. You put that run back in, and suddenly he had an explosive day. And, you know, that that's a scoring drive right there. Yeah, we had, and a scoring drive in, in a two-point game is a big deal. We talked about how toxic differential is what this team tries to avoid, right? You don't want those toxic plays. You don't want those plays that go for huge chunks of yards. You don't want any of that and then that and you don't want turnovers and that's exactly what happened here that they they got they got the better of us in the toxic differential battle in this game yeah they only had about they basically had what two big plays three if you count Dak Prescott's touchdown run that or, that play was huge by the way yeah and then you have Zeke Elliott's 44 yard run and uh Cooper had a 34 yard catch uh, Seahawks had a 53-yard catch by Lockett, a 26-yard catch by Ed Dixon, an a 22-yard catch by Doug Baldwin. 
Yeah, uh, the interception by KJ in uh, the red zone. Like, <clears throat> with that stat line, with those factors, I mean, yeah, I guess they had Tavon Austin's one big return that and it stuck, uh, and that was that hurt. The that's because we all hate things. Tavon Austin on this podcast. Uh, 50... That we were on the field for 55 offensive plays. They were on the field for 76. They just controlled the ball better. They 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 did our game plan to us, and we we were stubborn and did not adjust to try to defeat defeat that. They were they trusted their defense. I mean, I kind of was on this before the game their game even started. Right, like their their defense is is pretty good. It's better especially than people, at home. It's better than people think, and they play really good at home, where uh, where they can get away with not having an elite pass rusher outside of Lawrence and. Yeah, they they played they played good. They, it wasn't a great defensive performance, but Van Der Esch was awesome. He had nine tackles and eight run stops. That is insane. That's the kind of stuff we get excited about Bobby doing, right? Yes. So it's, I mean, that's that he. I think that he was a huge part of why they won, why they won the game. Uh, Jalen Smith also very good. Four tackles, four run stops. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence had four run stops. They, like they they decided, hey, you know what? They're not going to beat us running the ball, and we said, okay, well, we'll just keep trying for some reason. I don't know. It was it was an infuriating game plan, especially because when we went to the play action, it killed. When we went to the deep passing game, it killed. And then we were like, "Well, glad we did that." Back to running ineffectively. Yeah. And why does it feel like Dallas had their their best game of the season? All these players stepped up in the way they needed them to. Their best game of the season was when they uh, beat the crap out of New Orleans. But yes, they did have a good game. By the way, but I mean, if you look at the individual oh. performances here. It's it's a playoff game, and to only lose by two, it's, it stings a little more. Russell Russell Wilson off play action in this game, nine for ten, one hundred and eleven yards, uh, one hundred and twelve NFL rating. Um, not play action, nine for seventeen touchdown. So I mean, the play action was definitely working. Eleven point one yards per attempt. Yeah, and we just went away. We just went away from it. And even just one more drive where we leaned into the passing game would have been the difference maker. But it just didn't happen. The choice wasn't there. Just, just throw on like four consecutive first downs. They, it's a te- the thing about tendencies is, is that other teams scheme for them, right? We ran, we ran on first down in like over 62 percent. It was like sixty two point five percent of our plays this year, and they, they knew, they knew, and we still did it. And then, then you're in second and long, and you throw a stupid bubble screen, or you, you know, and, and then you're now you're in third and fourteen. There's no plays in your playbook that are designed to get fourteen yards consistently. It just well, we're what you said all last together. year. Yeah, you, you killed the drive. You killed the drive before you even got to third down. A lot of people will point to like, oh well, third down's the reason we lost. Third downs, yes, but when you're in well, third, third and eight, third in, and ten, third and fifteen. When you're in third and long, every freaking drive, it, it doesn't matter. Like you're the third downs aren't the problem. First and second down was the problem. It's. It's an it was an incredibly incredibly frustrating uh, frustrating experience to say the least. Yeah, uh, it's it became a lot of what we used to get mad about, which is all right. We uh, put in a low probability play, another low probability play, and then on third down we just rely on Russell B. Magic, and he may or may not win it for us. And that's what this whole game felt like. And we were sitting there. In our chat during the game going, well, this is the play that's going to happen. This is the play that's going to happen. This is the play that's going to happen. And if we can do it, then you bet Rod Marinelli and uh, their entire defensive staff knew exactly what was coming too. I mean, the Clapper probably didn't because he's a terrible coach. But their (laughs) defensive coaches did. By the way, Russell Wilson continued his dominance of the deep passing game. Four for six on deep passes, 140 yards. It's just that that stuff that, you know, it all adds adds together to just make it just infuriating infuriating he had the yeah, the path to winning was there yeah and it <clears throat> we lost it, by okay. two we converted i, our two I retweeted it and said i hate that i agree with this take and i want to get your guys opinion robert mays tweeted that if you're going to pay your quarterback 30 million dollars like they're going to have to pay russell wilson you should just you should either stop running this offense or or not pay your quarterback 30 million dollars to run this offense do you guys agree with that statement or do you think that this is the right offense for russell wilson i think the truth lies somewhere in the middle I really like that we were a run-heavy team because, let's face it, that's what we do with March on. That's what we did when we were winning Super Bowls. However, <clears throat> there was a time for the the running game to shine and set up Russell Wilson. And that's what the running game is really designed to do. If you're looking at how great we were all season, we were still just 10-6 and six with a number one rushing attack. I feel like with Russell Wilson passing more, uh, with those extra 80 to 100 yards a game that Kevin and I were talking about, you're looking at a 
more powerhouse of an offense. Two more wins at least. First round bye. Home field advantage. That's where my take is. Uh, I think that absolutely paying $30 million to throw the ball in such an antiquated concept of balance, 27 passes, 24 runs, that's balance on a spreadsheet. That's not balance on a football field. Clearly, we should have been throwing to set up the run, and we didn't. So if we continue scheming in such a linear fashion, I agree. Like, as much as this team would be nowhere near as good without Russ... With Russ, we're wasting him, and it would be better to redistribute that $30 million because, you know, uh, you could go out and get Case Keenum to run an offense like this that's designed to hide your quarterback. We don't need to hide Russ. I, um, I said this a lot of times about Mike McCarthy, uh, that he wasted a lot of prime years at Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think Pete's doing that. Pete's a defensive coach, and this is a great defense. We're not wasting Russ's prime years, but... Uh, in some level that he, he might be too focused on on making sure the defense is great and like keeping the, <coughs> the defense off the field and it's and it, it is it is hurting uh, what Russell Wilson maybe could be at the top end. I don't think there's any reason why he can't why can't he throw for five thousand yards like Drew Brees? I don't know. I I, I think he should be able to actually. That just he just won't he just can't because the the play calling. I mean, there's some level that there, there's something wrong. Or, you know, maybe if he's not putting up quite those numbers, it's actually, it kind of reminds me of uh, what was going on with Philip Rivers for a couple years there. Uh, I want to say it was in 2015 and 2016, where they had these really, really predictable run tendencies that were putting him in a lot of third and long situations. And people are going, Bill Rivers still really good, but his numbers are kind of dipping. And they shook up their play calling, got a little more creative. And suddenly, you're looking at a very different situation. And this year, they're an explosive offense, and Phillip Rivers is throwing. You know, he's not leading the league in touchdowns or yardage, but he's having he's putting up quality numbers. But the big thing is, it is clearly an offense built around Phillip Rivers. Yeah, we can have an offense that is still a good rushing offense but that is built around Russell Wilson. It should be at That's a this good point because Philip Rivers has two name running backs that people okay. know that are both very good. Good point, Kevin. All right. Um, to me, after watching Shaquille Griffin kind of, uh, I don't know if deteriorates the right word, but he's, his progression did not go quite the way we expected. Last year to this year, I thought, was either a flat or maybe even a big step back. Do you guys think that and, you know, it's got to be a lot harder playing across from Trey Flowers than Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman was pro football focused highest rated cornerback this year. He turned in a good season, whether I like him or not. So so my question for you guys is, what what do we, where do we go, where do we go from here? Do we, do, do we need competition for Shaq at outside cornerback? Or is, is, would you feel comfortable just going in with the same two guys next year, Eric? No. I want Trey Flowers. I want... All right, so if we open up the competition, uh, it shouldn't even be an issue. We should definitely be doing that. Then Shaq proves that he's the heir apparent, and he's going to be great, and he's going to be what we thought he would be opposite Richard Sherman or this year taking over the number one spot. That's a different story. But as I see it now, I do not want Shaq Griffin as our number two cornerback or our number one cornerback. He, his weaknesses were exposed this year, and I thought they were really telling in the playoff game. He's been late to the ball all year. I don't think he has much route anticipation. I made that note. I've been kind of staring at it all, all podcast, but a lot of the, <clears throat> the play of a cornerback is designed to kind of read the routes, to run the route that the receiver runs before the receiver runs it so they can anticipate it. They can deflect the ball. They can intercept it. They can sit on the field and say, yeah, I knew what route they were going to run before they ran it. Sherman loved to say that. Shaq Griffin does not have any of that, and that is a big deal. That is a big difference in the world of cornerbacks, elite to mediocre to whatever level Shaq is at. I'm pretty sure at this point he's a serviceable cornerback, but I don't want that on our defense. Like we talked about just recently, five minutes ago, if Pete Carroll is building this Pete Carroll defense – that is a cornerback that does not belong here. I'm going to say, too, that I don't think Shaquille Griffin, 
I want to make it clear. I don't think this is the end for Shaquille Griffin or something like that. But I do think he needs to be challenged. And the guys on the roster right now are not going to be challenging him at all. Well, I'm not. I'll be an ass. I'll just say it. Like, he's had a really good year in the sense that his brother plays with him. He's pretty comfortable. He's really happy about that. I don't know if his comfort level is to the point where he is taking things for granted. But I felt like he didn't show any leadership this year. And with Sherman going and Earl being hurt and not showing up during training camp, I don't know. Maybe I expected too much from Shaquille Griffin. But I I didn't see any leadership from him, and I thought that I would. Just It, dis, it disappoints me. All right. Allow me to be a, a differentiated voice here. So what I saw was a 23-year-old second-year player who put up a very similar season to last year. Um, a couple of things that were different. I think, number one, I think he focused on understanding how big of a role he's expected to play in the run game. And I think he was over-aggressive at times in run coverage, which converted into more run stops than he had last year. But I think at times it resulted in some poor technique and loss of contain. So there's an element of making sure he understands his job. In pass coverage, I think he tried to do a little bit too much of what Richard Sherman always did. He wanted to bait you. But he didn't quite understand how to make the read to do the bait correctly, which is why he ended up doing a lot more of allowing them to make the catch and then having to tackle afterwards. Which is why you saw his numbers of passes defensed or his passes batted down drop from his rookie year to this year. So those are things that I think you can coach back out of him. Those are things where an offseason of uh, getting healthy, of watching himself on tape, scouting himself. And I believe in our defensive coaching staff. And I believe in Pete Carroll, especially when it comes to defensive backs. I think he could come in and be a much improved player next year. But I am with both of you in not wanting to bank on both him and Flowers being ready to play. Because Flowers regressing is also a possibility. That's definitely a possibility, He's still yeah. someone who's pretty new to a position. And so as much as they could both come in and be above average corners, I think there's no problem with you know spending a fourth or a fifth round pick on a corner and picking up a guy in free agency who you think can provide quality depth where you're going okay if this guy ends up being our number two corner he can go out there and he's not going to embarrass himself he can go out there and play a solid cornerback because nico thorpe was threatening to be on the field a lot this year like we just lack depth if someone was hurt if someone had a nagging injury not playing them wasn't really an option. Flowers and Griffin were out there at times where they probably shouldn't have been this year. And I wonder if that helped create some bad habits. One one thing for me, though, is for like Shaq, I, I know you want it, it. It's he is young and his development is not going good. But he was n- notably bad. If quarter quarterbacks throwing at him had a 100.4 rating this year, which would be good for ninth in the league. If you just threw at Shaquille Griffin every time, like that's not, that's very disappointing. And he had a lot of bad games too. It wasn't like he had two games where he just got killed. Like in about half the games this year, he struggled in coverage. Um, so that, that's um, I. I want him to develop. I want the young man to continue to to get better. And I think that he's going to need to. You know, Trey Flowers was not great either. Quarterbacks throwing at him 111.8. What I think Trey Flowers made up for it, though, was he was excellent in run defense, like always did his job, and he had a ton of run stops, uh, which kind of made up for the fact that he also was had coverage struggles. But he also seemed to get better as the year went on. Yeah, his worst game was the first game of the oh, year. God, he got victimized he got against <laughs> Denver. Denver. Sanders just him. murdered him. And he got he had a really bad game against San Francisco too, where Dante Pettis just ate him up. But yeah, uh, other than those two games, he never gave up more than seventy-seven yards in one game the whole season, which is pretty good. So yeah, Trey, <coughs> Trey's got holes in his game, but I think you know, as a player who's 
further back in his development. He's on the upswing. Yeah, it makes me feel like he could come along. But I was saying this about Shaq last year. I thought Shaq had number one cornerback potential, and I'm scared that that might be that might be going away. That that potential might be uh, slipping through our fingers right here. Um, okay, another thing I don't want to let Justin Coleman off the hook. I sorted all cornerbacks by yard after catch this year. Justin Coleman was first. Worst. He gave up 407 yards after catch on the season, which was the most of any cornerback in the NFL. Just wanted to make sure everyone knew. All right. That's um, that's why I think I'm worried about our secondary so much. Coleman it's- had some weird games. Like, he was another one where he had a lot of games where he was really good, especially early in the season. But I think he might be another person who had some trouble because you he, our corners just couldn't come out of games. We had three corners that you're comfortable with being on the field, and if we had to go to a fourth corner, we were all sweating bullets. I was going to say, I'm trying to like name a fourth corner Akeem that King. I saw. It was Akeem King. Yeah, but Which I just Or worried. Dante Johnson. No, no, not. I was going to say Akeem King. Uh, Nico Thorpe got on the field Nico a couple Thorpe of times. Nico Thorpe got defensive snaps Towards the end easy, of the year. Easy, easy. I love easy, but that's not his job. That's not good. No, he's a special <laughs> teamer. Okay, um, he's the best special teamer. He's my hero. The vessel teamer. All right. Uh, we, we're out of time. Uh, we'll come back next week. We have tons of tons more thoughts, but that is us on this game. Uh, and uh, college football, Kevin, we both nailed Clemson. That's our college football review. We rule. Um, yep. Uh, roll Tide. You suck. Uh, okay. Roll down Tide. All right. We've got... Um, now we've got to thank our patrons. If you want to help the Seahawks podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Just like Forrest, Richard, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Chuck Attila, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David, Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, or Michelle. But also, um, Gavin came through with a nice uh, one-time donation. Uh, yeah, thank you, Gavin. So, Gavin, thanks. Big ups to you. You rule. Um, thank you, pal. We're getting closer to our goals. Our, once we hit our Big first shots. goal, we'll put our second goal, pivot to video. Uh, we'll start making video content. You'll get to see my face and uh, maybe Kevin and Eric's nope. face. Probably not Kevin. Maybe Eric's face. <laughs> so so uh, that'll be fun. Um, I have enough time to fabricate a giant paper mache mask <laughs> in the shape of Nathan's head. All right, sweet. It'll be awesome. And we'll all wear it. Okay, so then... then um, Is that guy really doing a podcast and he's got a, like a mask out of himself in the background? What an ass. I could get a luchador mask. Okay, if you if you have uh, if you have no money and you want to help the Seahawks in this podcast, give us a five star review wherever you find this one. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, wherever you find it, give it us give it a heart, a like, a thumbs up, uh, five stars. It helps a lot. Five stars. We have perfect five stars on iTunes, and it's thanks to you guys. You guys rule. Uh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, not like Seahawks Sideline, which has four and a half stars uh, and only seven reviews. You guys suck. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm gonna start. I want to start beef with another <laughs> podcast because my, our beef with uh, the the with field goals, field goals kind of died down. I mean, it did. They still blocked us on Twitter, but they're but all their writers follow us. All their writers follow us and, and interact with us, and now it's like, eh, well, whatever. Okay. Um, so, movie club. We can make it quick this week. So in an effort to kind of recap 2018, we're going to be watching some 2018 gems and reporting, un- like some, we're going to be unearthing some 2018 gems for y'all that maybe went a little under the radar and uh, trying to get them. So the- <coughs> Eric, why don't, you tell the- why don't you tell the lovely people what we watched this week? Infinity War. No, I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. You said, you said under the radar. Uh, we, man, first of all, Nathan, I, I did not know about this movie. I had already watched it. I was like, you guys got to watch this. This is it's a pretty cool movie. This was a limited release around yeah. here. It did not get everywhere, and I missed it. This is what I wanted to see, so I was yeah. really it had, very happy about seeing it. It was, it was a MoviePass Studios. Uh, <laughs> what is, wait, what is MoviePass Studios? So, MoviePass released like four movies last year, and this was one of them. So MoviePass is uh, a service you could sign up for that used to be really good but poorly figured out, and now it's really poorly figured out and just bad. Where you could watch unlimited movies. Yeah, and it's gone. It's for monthly fee. It is now. It's it's dead. A much worse subscription service. As Nathan was like, we will not hype. I'm going to use this as long as it's good. Okay. Anyway, the movie we watched was American Animals. I unfortunately cannot name the actors. I know that it starred the gentleman uh, from who plays Quicksilver in the X Men movies. Thank Uh, you, Evan Peters. Uh, sure. And it, it also had a, a Jenner. Yeah, Blake Jenner. It did have a Jenner that I uh, did not hate. Jared Abrahamson <coughs> and Barry Kogan. Can and I, other names that Kevin's just making up. 
uh, the thing that was cool about this movie was they got all the pe- so this is a, a real story this thing this this it's a this heist. is a documentary but it's done like uh like each like true hollywood stories where yes. uh, they will like uh, switch between interviews and actors doing like the segments only i've seen a lot i love documentaries i'm a i'm a really big fan of documentaries usually they don't get like actually people that can act Usually it's like they do the reenactment scenes and you're like, this is this is all right. And then they get back to the documentary part and you're like, all right, cool. This one, like, you actually are saying that going, okay, is this a documentary or is it a mockumentary? Dude, so I, I googled it the, during the director, the, movie. the director's background is in like these TV documentaries. Uh, he got locked up abroad and Paranormal Witness and like all these TV documentaries. So I think that like he was. He had practice, and then someone gave him money. And it he was perfected like, hire it. real actors. Well, and the writer of this is the guy who did uh, um, The Imposter uh, oh, in 2012. Okay. Which is a another really, really interesting story. A um, lot of twists and turns that uh, was a really cool movie. It got some love in 2012. So now I'm super interested because he has multiple projects that are cool. So he'll be somebody who, like, when he comes out with a project, I'm like, I'm going to check yeah, out Seems what, to, uh, was it Bill Layton? It was a really Bart neat, Layton. Layton. He, see, it's a really neat way to, to, to function a documentary. Like, I wouldn't even call it a documentary. I would call it just, like, it's a movie. It's kind of like the It's o- a true story. It's kind of is... like The Office, where yes. they splice together these face-ups with, uh, with acting with things that are happening, yeah, I'd then, say it was like eighty-five percent movie, fifteen percent. But then, but then the people in the face-ups are are the people that are actually did this. It actually happened. to them. Okay, so before yeah, in the credit, Spencer Reinhardt played the real Spencer Reinhardt. Yeah, it's like the real Warren dude. Lipka played the real Warren Lipka. Like, before the audience well, gets too lost, though, another this... thing too is is the things events of this movie are are borderline unbelievable, and I think that's why they, they keep stressing <laughs> that this so really happened. Weird. Yes. Okay, so. This movie, it's called American Animals. It's about, uh, it happened on, uh, what is it, Kentucky University? Western Kentucky? In, Transylvania. University in Trans- Kentucky. That's right. Transylvania, Transylvania I forgot about in Kentucky. This, which is the funniest. Like, first, if you think the movie's fake, that's their first clue that it, it's not, but it, that, that But name, it makes it sound more exactly. fake. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a group of uh, ultimately four college students, but it seems to be these two college guys, uh, they're hanging out. They decide, uh, you know, they see these really expensive books in the college library. Now, one guy goes on a book tour, and he sees this book, and they say it's the most expensive book on earth. Yes. And yes. He, and he's like, well. And, and, there's, both, and there's other books there that well, are very expensive. And they're both in that, like, late teens, early 20s, middle period, where they're not really happy with the, where their life's going, and they're not sure they've made good choices. So this is kind of like a... Like a, a youth life crisis movie where they're bored. They end up deciding to plan this heist. And the whole movie, they seem to be fluctuating between like whether they're planning it or whether they're going to go through with it. Yeah, they're just talking about it because it, yeah. And like some people seem much more like wrapped up in like, we're going to do it, this is going to happen. And other people, it's almost like a thought exercise. Yeah. And, There's a manipulative but ringmaster. All, but then all of a sudden it's happening and they're in it and they're like, oh. And and without giving everything it? away. Or is it? Or is it? It's, it is the... The old man makeup was excellent. Yeah, it is the absolute wrong way to go about everything. Um, it's it's what would actually happen if four 20-year-olds tried to plan but, a big heist. So you see it as a, as a fictionalized account. Get it, like four 20-year-olds? Yeah, I see it. Blaze it. Um, blaze it, yo. Uh, a vape nation. So you, you have... <laughs> You, you have this, like, film where you see guys, you know, putting on their disguises, uh, you know, running through their, their practice, and then you'll hear the voiceover, and it's the real person talking about, yeah, we didn't, you know, we decided to go with the disguises because, you know, we wanted something that looked believable. Uh, it was really, really interesting. I was so pleased with how much I loved this movie. Like, the I getaway want to cars, see it like again. a Toyota Sienna van. Yeah, and they, they, they pull, like, an Ocean's Eleven, you have, let's, you have to buy a van, and you have to pay cash. Like, they're obviously the, the ringleader, the, the master Had manipulator. Had seen a lot of heist movies. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, the guy literally Googles, like, how do you rob a bank, or something yes. like that. Yes, And, like, is checking out books in the library and taking notes. Like, every time someone starts talking, like, what are you doing? I'm taking notes. 
He's just scribbling in his notepad. He just looks like a goober. And yeah, I mean, are we going to give away anything about nope. this? Let's, do, okay. let's, let's just uh-huh. give our, our reviews here. I, I would give this movie two thumbs up. I highly recommend it. Kevin? Uh, yeah, I'd give it somewhere in the 70s on the plexi scale. It is knocking on the door of my top 10 for 2018. Yeah. Um, I give it four and a half stolen books out of five. All right. So for Eric, for Kevin, we will see you next week. If you watch American Animals this week, tell us what you think. Go Hawks. Good times roll. No, I ain't got nothing but a bag of green to dance.